Well, hello, boys and girls. Yes, yes. Uh, hello, hello, boys and girls. Welcome to extremely Mel Gibson voice. Hello, boys and girls. <laughs> Welcome to a brand new, currently unnamed podcast about all the good things. About all, well, not necessarily all of the good things. Anyway, I'm Vigian. I, I am, as always, Ulysses Rushmore. The handsomest of the two. That is just wildly inaccurate. Today we're going to tackle a contentious figure. The single most probably contentious figure in cinema. Except for maybe, you know, Woody Allen and the yeah. the other guy, yeah. Polanski. It's Mel Gibson. Yes, everybody's favourite. What well, a crazy guy, to be honest. <laughs> Loud, Australian, angry... But brilliant actor, Mel Gibson. And the crowd goes wild. Probably the greatest actor of his generation. Quite possibly. So, we wanted to talk about Mel Gibson because Hacksaw Ridge Hacksaw apparently Ridge. is making some waves. It's, did, did you say it got a, like a 10 minute standing ovation at some ceremony? At some yeah, festival? I think it was I think it was Cannes or Toronto. I think Cannes. They had to tell him to you know calm down after 10 minutes because... <laughs> Mel was just standing there on stage looking like Mel Gibson while everyone was clapping. I wish I could have seen that. With his Jesus beard. That is that is a proper crazy man beard. That that I mean it, it fits it fits his, his person completely. It, yeah, it, it certainly does. But uh, I haven't I haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, I've only seen those uh, a couple of clips that were on Twitter. I have seen uh, five minutes of Hacksaw Ridge. And I cannot disclose under which circumstances I saw five minutes of Hacksaw Ridge, <laughs> but I the five minutes were good. I mean, you you can't really have an opinion about a movie that you've only seen five minutes of. Mm. But we can always mention that although his work as a director is not as good as his work as an actor, he is still a phenomenal director with his yeah. very own distinct way. Of shooting certain things, of depicting violence, I think. Yes, is... violence in particular. I think there's there's a there's a there's a very there's a very very obvious thing where he doesn't shy away from it, um, in yeah. its sheer brutality, of even simple things, of even small things like a gunshot or a punch to the face. There are there's a certain impact that it has yeah. in his movies that that aren't isn't always apparent in other films. I think he's trying to to heighten it because he's he doesn't feel that films will generally capture the the reality, the impact of violence, the impact that violence can have on people who witness it. No, I think that's a fair point. I think I think he he. I also I think maybe he in a way he's very he knows exactly what he wants to put on screen. Uh, I don't think that he's he has any uh, uh, qualms about being incredibly violent on screen. But I th- mm-hmm. it's it's it seems to be pretty clear that it doesn't bother him either. Yeah. Like violence in itself, at its core, is not something that Mel Gibson is terribly bothered with. So he always kicks it up a notch to something that he might be bothered by. I see. Yeah. I, that's so, theory. so you mean that 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 realistic depictions of violence to Mel Gibson seem like. Uh... Like baby shit. 
Yes, I, it, it doesn't get to him. It's it's it, violence is violence, and it's no big deal. Is what it seems like, because his violence is always it's always kicked up a notch. Yeah, yeah. But people are calling this a comeback. I so fucking hope it is. Well, I really yeah, do. But it's not. It's not his first comeback. No, no, no. My boy Mel already had his comeback, and no one gave a he, shit, which is he, their own guy. He had a false. few attempted comebacks. Um, none more. Interesting than in the film Get the Gringo. Get the Gringo, which is my, yeah. I gotta say, my favorite film of the year. Such a goddamn good and intense film. It was, it was good. It was good. I don't know if it was that good, but it was good. It was very good. I, I revisited it for this, and um, the film itself is really kind of oddly constructed. Just feel it feels a lot like like it's very plot heavy, but none of the plot is treated with any importance. So it's just sort of scene after scene of, of Mel Gibson hustling people in and out of jail, which in and of itself is dope as fuck as well. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of just a series of scenes of, of Mel Gibson chewing scenery and being interesting, but none of it comes it doesn't come together in a particularly amazing way. I think I think it ties a pretty nice bow on itself actually. There are, I think, I think I understand what you mean, but the it's just I think it is perfectly paced, and I think it is very well constructed, in that, whereas someone like uh, Zack Snyder does his films in a way that is just a bunch of moments or a bunch of scenes following each other, which yeah. with with no clear cohesion, it seems to me that this might have been sort because the shots are beautiful most of the time great angles great lighting great atmosphere but here i feel like it carries over to the next scene most of the time yeah well there's a consistency and that consistency is that mel gibson is on screen well and the kid as well who i have to, yeah. i have to say this the, the kid is a goddamn treasure man holy yeah. crap I still feel that I, I think they could have done more with him and with that whole dynamic because it, there's there's this bit late in the film Mel Gibson gets out of prison and he goes back to America and he starts like grifting rich people yeah conning more and it's it, yeah but it, it's it's a fun sequence but it just feels so separate from everything else like and when he calls is, that guy up and he does his it's uh, just it's, I, I would have said it's, it, it even feels out of context because what he does is fuck with people based on something that happened before the film and yeah. that it doesn't carry over very well to what we as an audience have seen and we obviously know that Mel Gibson is a uh, he's a bank robber, he got caught on the border of Mexico and that's where our yeah. hope starts but what happened before is a complete blank and then they just bring this blank into filling out the third act which yeah. is just no, it's not even the third act, it's pretty much the fourth actually it's <laughs> yeah, which is so strange. I mean, it would have been. It's, it's weird. It's an odd choice, um, and I think because I know Mel Gibson actually co-wrote the screenplay, so I think he's he, he was probably trying to find ways to because this was really intended to be a comeback film. I think he was trying to inject ways to to show that he could do different things. That's why he's got the scene where he does the Clint Eastwood impression over the phone. Hold for Mr. Eastwood, please. Hey, uh, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call, sir. Well, it's, uh, it's quite a surprise, Mr. Eastwood. Uh, I'm a fan of your work. This is bullshit! Uh, you know Mr. what, man? Mr. Glad you could take my... Excuse me for a minute, me. sir. This is not what you said. 
Okay, now that's better. Okay, move that's along. Better. That's good. So you all right, man. Yeah. You all right. Ah, hallelujah to you. Woo! God. All right, set up for take two. Sorry, sir, I'm uh, working stiff. You got to make your time where you can. Yeah. That weird scene with Peter Stormare and he throws the grenades at them. Which, I mean, you, you put, you put, you put Peter's... I will, I will say it in perfect Swedish because I'm Danish and Swedish oh, she yes, is Danish do. but drunk Peter Stormar <laughs> uh, he's I mean I love the guy I, I love the fact that he's always a Russian or something and he's Swedish it's very strange he's a good villain though he has a good villain face he's he's Swedish which means he can play any nationality <laughs> in American films it's, it's Usually. so strange you have a uh, the Swedes have a bunch of those guys yeah I think uh, I'm, I'm gonna uh, just cut in here to the beginning of the film um, when he is first arrested and put into the jail, and there's yeah. this short sequence where he sets fire to the tattoo, mm-hmm. uh, the the heroin dealer's uh, shop. No, wait, wait, he sets fire to some random shack so he can steal the money from yes. the from it the is the the the, the, the shack. The con- yes, exactly. The construction of these, I think it's, I think it's, it's four shots. No, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's two scenes comprising of a very, very short uh, amount of, uh, uh, a very, uh, of a little amount. There, of, there, of, of there are quite a few cuts, as I recall. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's. Uh, most of the film is shot very close, and very tight, um, and handheld, and there, there is a sort of constant movement. And uh, there's a lot of cutting, and you sometimes don't necessarily notice the cutting because it's moving so much. Yes, it's, and it's uh, but very, very there's, nice. There's... But that scene in particular is the the way that that Mel. I, I like calling him Mel, like he's a friend. <laughs> um, the way that he so naturally in this very very uh, uh, kind of strange and different. Uh, City is actually a goddamn city, man. It's a small town. Yeah. It's not even a prison anymore. Um, the way the way he just kind of naturally slides into this survival role, like yeah. I have to make it, and he he does this all these things with such with such specificity. Like he knows the character knows exactly what he's doing. The entire film, basically, he, yeah. he has very little doubts about anything. There's and, a scene quite close to that as well. I think it might be earlier. Where he, he knocks out the guy sitting on the toilet and takes yes, his gun yes, and yes, hides yes. it. Like the, the the gringo has no fucking qualms about being in a Mexican jail. That's just my new home. <laughs> Gotta make the best of it. But it's, yeah. it's shot ta- ta- in ta- such ta- ta- bust out the skill set. Yes, and that's that scene is just shot is shot so well because it has this. Oh no, he's doing a thing, and are they going to catch him while he's doing it? And then it at the same time switches like it switches tone instantly with the switch of the music. That goes from intense, low tone bass to kind of like a light, uh, upbeat Mexican tone. And the second that he actually steals the money, he, he he sneaks in, takes the money while everyone's confused and 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 not really there. And then it switches to this upbeat tra la 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 kind of thing, <laughs> and the movie just moves on. Yeah. That's a very very nice. Well, that's that's when he he goes straight from that to meeting the the boy for the first time. Yes, exactly. Because the boy fucking saw. And it, yeah. And then he's basically yeah. Give me give me a cigarette, old man. Apropos the boy, the chemistry between the two, like from the second that they meet. Oh yeah. I've always been very fond of Dakota Fanning and uh, 
Denzel in Man on Fire, uh, which has to be one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, their chemistry is just, whoo, it, it feels so real. But the kid and the gringo are just, I want a buddy cop movie with those two. Like, <laughs> give the kid the Danny Glover role and then make Danny Glover like the yeah. police commissioner or something. What did you think of the portrayal of the mother? I didn't feel that the relationship between her and Mel Gibson felt particularly natural. I mean, she was she was good, but it just felt it felt like it almost felt like they they put that in there so that the relationship between Mel Gibson and the boy wouldn't be so weird. See, I think maybe her relationship in regards to Mel's character, the Gringo is mm-hmm. kind of strange because all of a sudden there there's supposed to be chemistry between them um, yeah yeah which I don't necessarily think is supposed it shouldn't be there I mean there's no reason for it to be it, apart yeah. from the fact that he's being good to her boy but if you take her relationship to, to the gringo out of the equation I think she is a fantastically written and performed female character in this in, in this particular film. Well, she's she's really the only one in the in the film. Well, yeah, yeah, she, she actually is. Uh, but I'm thinking of in regards to to women in other uh, uh, similar kind of films. She does yeah. not feel she does not come off as weak or fragile or anything. Yeah. She comes off as a mother who will do whatever the fuck it takes to survive in this uh, hellhole while her son is basically a human. Uh, a human, you know, a used car, basically, used for spare parts. And I, 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 lo- I lo- she is just as intense as the Mexican kid. I feel there's, there's a, there's an intensity there that while Mel is like the most intense person on the planet, whenever he's on screen. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned uh, Mel's intensity there, and I think that brings us quite nicely to another film, another attempted comeback, an earlier one. The Beaver. I'm sorry. What did you just call me? <laughs> Jodie Foster's. Uh, you know what? You know what? The, you know what would have made this movie better if it was like Bea films, like Jodie Foster's The Beaver, <laughs> a very Beaver Christmas. So. <laughs> you mean if Jodie Foster was actually just a Beaver? Yeah, that'd be good. Well, actually, it probably it wouldn't be because good. it would have been. You know what? The Beaver is actually a shitty movie with mm-hmm. an amazing cast, amazingly acted probably some of Mel's finest work I don't even think it's work I think it's Mel breaking down on camera Mel Gibson's performance in that film is so good it's too good it's so it's so good that it's not it's supposed to be like a, a funny film yeah it and is none funny. of it is funny and when you're looking at Mel Gibson speaking through the, the puppet and reacting with his face and it's so real it's not funny at all. No, it isn't. I am heartbroken every time I, I watch him on screen in that film. Um, yeah. There is so much pain. There is so much desperation. There is such quiet rage mm. behind those yeah. absolutely destroyed puppy eyes throughout the yeah. entire film. And it's actually pretty hard to watch, especially if you... if, if if like me, it feels it doesn't feel like uh, a performance, but actually a man breaking down for you on camera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a scene where um, he and Jodie Foster, Jodie Foster plays his wife as well as directing. She's 
try to like remind him of the good times. I thought it was important to remind ourselves of how things were, how how things should be. you want is this progress christ woman he's suffering from depression not amnesia you think the problem is he can't remember these things no he can't go back don't you see that this is all in the past and dredging it up you know where this leads you know where this order goes to a tenth floor balcony tied to a shower curtain rod is that what you want He's so close to like just having a panic attack. He's like, uh, uh, uh." and it's so real. Like, and I just don't think anyone, anyone making that film apart from Mel Gibson, knew the the power of what he was gonna do. I I I think I agree with you completely. Um, I think it. I think I think it sucks for Jodie Foster that her movie uh, is so shit. Um, I don't think she. I don't think she's a bad director. But the movie that she built uh, was not the movie um, that came out, no. obviously, because no. it's, it's supposed to be a uh, you know a kind of serious comedy that is funny but also has these serious elements. But it mm-hmm. turns out is actually a completely heartbroken, uh, a completely heartbreaking story of a, of a enormously ruined man, yeah. with a few funny bits in between. And well, I think I think the the biggest problem with the whole film is is everything around Gibson. It just doesn't work. None of it fits, and it feels like it's all been put there to make it into a comedy. Yeah, like they they they. It's almost as if they had already shot the movie with Mel in it, and then realized that it was not funny, and put stuff in afterwards to make it funny, which maybe. Which maybe, which of course they didn't do. Uh, they they shot it as it is, but obviously, yeah. But it, but it kind of um, it, it it sort of feels that way because it 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 just doesn't. There's no cohes. There's no cohesion to anything else but Mel. Yeah, because, well, because I think everyone else is is has an idea of the kind of film that they're making. I think Mel Gibson knew he was making a shit film, but he saw an opportunity to express something in himself that he's not really had the chance to express. Um, probably not since doing Hamlet, so I think he did it for that reason. I don't. I don't necessarily think that he thought he was making a different film to everyone else. I think that he just saw an opportunity to express something very real. It is very real. Since Get the Gringo, his arguably his most successful attempt at a comeback as a movie star, he's done a few a few shitters. Most notably, Expendables Three and Machete Kills. I'm heartbroken by the idea that Machete Kills didn't work. It was. It could never have worked. I understand, but I wanted it to work. I really did. I like him when he's being a villain. I like him when he's just, you know, he's a good throwing. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just hamming it up, man. And I love yeah. that he does that in, in Expendables Three as well, which is just a shitty fucking movie. And he's not even very good in it. That's probably the worst thing about well, he, he really doesn't have much to do he's just kind of there yeah and then he has his, you know, his sunglasses and he says he says cool shit kill some people and then he's not really there yeah well in the Expendables 3 he has like 
he really has one scene that's that's good where they, he's been captured by the, the good guys and he's like Whoa! oh good morning are these your students hey kids what'd you learn tonight huh yeah what happened to the old girl oh that's right they stuck their noses into other people's worlds and got fatally injured. Now they're the deletables. Hey, you hear that, kids? Take note, because that's what you're doing right now. Let me shut his mouth. You're talking pretty tough to a guy who's incapacitated, which is good for you. Is it? Why don't you cut me loose? I'll open your meat shirt and show you your own heart. But in Machete Kills, he's basically... It could have been anyone. Yes, if, yeah, I, I agree. I think if you get Mel Gibson and it could be anyone, then what the f- what are, you, what are you doing? This 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 is the thing that I've noticed uh, a bunch lately. You get well, not lately, but you know, the last decade at least, you get the big you get the big name with a lot of recognition, yeah. and you give him the tiniest part, hmm. which could have been yes. by anyone. And it's it 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 kind of it, it both it kills the film. Sort of, because if you know, if you put Mel Gibson's name on Machete Kills as the fucking villain, then people will expect, well, or, or Expendables for that matter, then people expect yeah. Mel Gibson as the villain. They don't expect Mel Gibson being a throwaway. Exactly, yeah. Because it's a waste of his talent, and it's a waste of my time, because I want the villain. I don't, I don't give a shit about a villain I want the villain yeah you want Mel Gibson I want to see Mel Gibson as a fucking murderous bastard I mean fuck just a boring call his wife his ex-wife ask a couple of questions there's your goddamn villain (laughs) is that a good joke I think it's a good joke oh my god (laughs) that's a good joke alright well I think that's a good a good point to move on to Perhaps the thing everyone will be wanting to hear about, if anyone listens to this, is Lethal Weapon. You mean the fantastic series based on the mediocre film? Um, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. The excellent television show starring Damon Wayans and Claire Clonders. What's the last guy's name? Claude Kluber? Clap Clundor. Clap Clundor as Martin Riggs. He is a perfect example of what happens when you don't get it. And I think what makes Lethal Weapon work and what makes Martin Riggs work as a character in Lethal Weapon is that obviously the script got it, Shane Black got it, and Mel Gibson got it. And it's that Martin Riggs is not a cool guy. He's not a guy who is behaving manically to be funny. He's genuinely manic. Yeah, he is genuinely a suicidal, broken person. But Claude Clandall can't do that. He doesn't get that. He thinks that Martin Riggs is just wacky. He thinks he's funny. What he does with Martin Riggs, this uh, clan cluder guy, what he does is he watched Lethal Weapon and then he figured, wow, this Shane Shane Black guy kind of knows his shit. And then he went and thought about what Martin Riggs is, what he represents as a character in the universe of Lethal Weapons. And he thought, you know what he is? He is pretty much the comedy sidekick. Yes. He made this decision. And then he went on stage in front of one of the Wayans 
I don't know which one, but it's one of them. And uh, McGee, I think, is, is one of the and big Clued Clyden part of the show. I saw. Apparently, decided to do eight or thirteen episodes as the comedy sidekick, and you cannot do that as Martin Riggs. You can do it if your nope. name is Jack Burton, but you can't do it <laughs> if your name is Martin Riggs, because Martin no, Riggs is not the comedy sidekick. He is the the epitome. He, he's the heart of the, the whole. The whole point of the film is about a man. Dealing with his mental illness, he's suicidal. His wife's he's dead. In, yeah, which is almost incidental. It's like that's like a tiny little thing, but they keep mentioning that in the in the show, like it's the only thing, which just proves again that they that no one got it. The perfect comparison for me, right? There's a scene in Lethal Weapon, the movie, which I hate that I have to say that now. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that I now have to clarify Lethal Weapon, the movie. But that's what you've done to me. That's what you've done to me, Claire Clonders. You ruined my life. Well, no, there's a scene in the movie where um, Danny Glover drags Mel Gibson into like an abandoned. You want to kill yourself? Go oh, to him into shooting Shut himself. up! Yes or no? You want to die? Yes or no? How? I got the job done. What the hell do you want? Answer the question. Oh, what do you want to hear, man? Do you want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? Huh? Well, I do. I do. I even got a special one for the occasion with a hollow point. Look, make sure it blows the back of my goddamn head out. Do the job right. Every single day I wake up and I think of a reason not to do it. Every single day. And you know why I don't do it? This is going to make you laugh. You know why I don't do it? The job. Doing the job. Now, that's the reason. You want to die. I don't. I'm not afraid of it. I ain't afraid of it. Take my gun. Don't nibble on the barrel. Pull the trigger. Go ahead, pal. Be my guest. Go ahead if you're serious. You shouldn't tempt me, man. Put it in your mouth. Bullet might go through your, your ear and not kill you. Yeah, under the chin. Yeah, 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 under the chin. <laughs> and he's going to do it. Danny Glover has to stiffly put his thumb on the hammer of the gun to stop him shooting. Ow! You're not trying to draw a psycho pigeon. You really are crazy. I'm hungry. I'm gonna go and get something to eat. In the show, Damon Wyans says to Claude Clonders, If you were gonna kill yourself, how would you do it? Hypothetically. Pills seem nice, you know, drift off, fall asleep. And of course, some idiot pumps your stomach, you wake up, you're in the hospital, you gotta go to work the next day. Everybody knows about it, that's humiliating. I have heard really nice things about drowning, though, you no, know? No, no, If you were going to shoot yourself, how would you do it? May I? Come on, I'm not gonna do it here, I promise. First, I swing by Home Depot. Pick up a nice polyethylene plastic sheet, lay it out nice and neat so as not to make a mess. Then I take my final and last shot of Jonathan Daniels. Leave the instructions for my interment and a nice $6,500 check for burial costs. Actually, things are more expensive out here. I might need to look into that. My point was, you'd use your dominant hand. You know, I'm such a cool guy, and it would be really cool if I kill myself in a cool way. And then, um, but it's sort of just, it's just a throwaway stupid piece of shit, and it's just, he doesn't understand that. If you're genuinely suicidal, you don't just fucking talk about it like that. See, what I think Clued Clyden, um had <laughs> in mind 
with regards to how he portrayed this the manic side. Um, I think the, the the main difference here is that uh, uh, Clement uh, Caruso is a is an actor who is trying to play a manic man, whereas mm-hmm. Mel Gibson is a manic actor. He is he is already yes. manic. He's already broken as yeah, a person. Yeah, when he's play he when he's playing Martin Riggs, he's playing something that he knows. Yes, and I think and that as, that my point is that Clue is trying to pass off all these these moments. For example, the one with the oh I I'll fucking eat some pills or you know take this rifle and I'll I'll and shoot the guy when he kills me because you know I'll die and you'll be saved and stuff, which is yeah. fucking stupid. But the point is, I think that he attempts to portray Martin Riggs as a guy who shrugs off his mental instabilities with humor and deflection. But that is not what Martin Riggs does in the movie at all. No, at his, any I point, mean, the, the whole point of that, that he is, is that funny he's... is incidental to his manic uh, mm-hmm. nature. Whereas I think when yeah. when when Claude Clonders is because he actually takes takes Damon Wayans' gun. Damon Wayans unloads his gun and gives him the gun, and he holds it to his chin to show how he would shoot himself. But it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. It's just a visual. And I think Claude Clonders thinks that Martin Riggs is saying these things to shock people yeah I think I think you're right and I think that the problem with this scene in particular actually underlines the biggest problem of the entire film if Danny Glover had given Mel Gibson let's say a loaded gun you well need, he does give him a loaded gun yeah but you, you have no doubt that he'll shoot himself in the face mm-hmm. if blank Wayans um, gives <laughs> David Cladudin a gun that is loaded you doubt whether or not he will shoot himself in the face. And that is the main problem, that he does not in any shape or form that actually fucking matters. Well, he even, he even says, I'm not going to shoot myself. That Riggs would never have said that. It completely flies way over the head of what they're trying to portray. I mean, it makes you wonder why even make it a lethal weapon show. Why not just, like, reboot Miami Vice? Yeah, but it's also disrespectful as fuck to... to, to not, not only the character of Martin Riggs and the writing of Shane Black, for that matter, but to, to anyone to the with severe yeah. mental illness yes, who, who understands you. what it's like to wake up and want to put a fucking bullet in your head. Yeah, you can joke about it. You can be, you can be nonchalant about it, and you can, you can shrug or brush it off with, with, with deflections of humor and stuff, but... The brokenness of men like Martin Riggs, being portray- and portraying them as 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 goofy and kooky with no understanding of what it does to a person, I I think yeah. that is that is extremely bad. Okay, so let's let's just throw the fucking lethal weapon show in the bin for now. Yes, fuck that show. We'll, we want to talk about Mel Gibson. We want to talk about the Gibbs, the Gibbo, the Mel. <laughs> Well, there's apparently when you were making Mad Max, um, the actor playing Jim Goose, I can't remember his name. Oh. Uh, the bit where he's lying on the floor, he's just crashed his bike. Yes. And the, and the guy, the bloke, looks down at him and says, what, "What's going on?" And he looks at me and goes, "I don't know, mate. I just got here myself." And he's laughing, and apparently he's laughing because Mel Gibson is just off camera uh, with his cock out. Oh. <laughs> I do not doubt this for a second. I this heard is, this is yeah. There's a yeah. He was uh, in with regards to uh, when um. Hacksaw Ridge came out 
Mel Gibson told a story in an interview. Uh, he had this um, he has this mask, which is a human uh, a human face, and unless you are right in front of people, you cannot tell that it is not a human being, that it is a mask. And he used to wear this mask all the time when he went out, just to fuck with people. And he told a story about how he hung out with his friend, and his friend turned his back on him for a second, and Mel quickly put on the mask, and his friend just knocked him the fuck out. He got, he, he got, he was so surprised and shocked that he turned around for a second. He turns back around. Mel Gibson is gone. Some motherfucker is just standing there in Mel Gibson's clothes, but the face is different, and he just punches him the fuck out. Oh, and Mel was just like, it's the greatest thing I've ever experienced. It was worth it. <laughs> and I have no doubt that Mel's the kind of guy who would go, yeah, I'm bored. You want a you fist fight? Yeah, I think he would. I think he's the kind of guy who, if he, went, if he came around your house for drinks or something, you'd be wrestling by the end of the night. Yeah, exactly. He's one of those types. Yeah, I mean... Come on, wrestle me. Come on. Yeah, come, come on. Get on, your leg mate. up. Come on. He's not even Australian anymore, but you know. I know. Is he really something Australian, else though? Is he really? He was born in New York. Um, but he he's raised in Australia. Well, I think it's funny because uh, going back to *Lethal Weapon*, there's a scene, one scene in particular, but I think generally all through the film, his accent slips, and he sounds Australian. Like, there's a bit where he's counting the money out to buy the coke, at the, at the Christmas tree thing. Get this together here. <laughs> money, seventy, ninety-five. Hey, what the? Hey, man. Hey, come on, shut up, man. I'm losing count. 93, 94, 95, 96. Forget it, you dumb shit. 100,000. 100,000 dollars. Did you hear what he said? 100,000? I'm sorry, I can't afford that. Not on my salary. But look, I'll tell you what, I got a better idea. Here. Now, let me say I, uh, I take the whole stash off your hands for free. And you assholes can go to jail. Hey, what do you whoa, say about wait a that? Now I can read you guys your rights, but now nah, you guys already know what your rights are, don't you? <laughs> this badge ain't real. You ain't real. Oh, you sure are, crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think I'm crazy? Yeah. Are you calling me crazy? You think I'm crazy? Yeah, yeah. you want to yeah, see crazy? I'll tell you. <laughs> now that's a real badge. I'm a real cop, and this is a real fucking gun. He goes, that, that's a real fucking gun. <laughs> he, just, he just does not sound American at all. But now he doesn't even he doesn't sound Australian like at all. It is normal. But yeah, that's a, that's a good scene, actually. That's the first time that you, that you learn, A, that he's a cop, and B, that he's, he's manically dangerous. Yeah, but that is, that's actually a brilliant uh, kind of um, mechanism. It is also done, not in the same way, but it is... And of course, the tone is different. But uh, the first uh, Beverly Hills Cop, when you meet uh, Axel Foley for the first time, he's selling cigarettes as an undercover cop. And until he's actually arrested by the cops, you don't know that he's a cop. Yeah. But it's a it's a great. I mean, it's it's an old trope, pretty much. You know, uh, showing something else and then actually introducing them as something completely different afterwards. But but it, it works incredibly well in in, in Lethal Weapon and set it's, it's, that scene in particular just sets it the, the tone and the the character for the and that rest character of them perfectly yeah, yeah because he he pulls out the, the badge and he says I'm going to go to jail or something like that and they laugh at him because he's assuming that he's taking the piss and the guy goes you crazy man he goes ah oh, you want to see yeah crazy? I am crazy 
I think if you've ever had, I'm, I'm going to get a bit personal here. If you've ever been through a manic episode and you don't really know why you're doing the things you're doing, and you see fear in people's eyes, yes, I think I think Mel Gibson has been there. Oh yes, I uh... multiple times, but definitely like even as a young man. Um, yes, I. I if, if you take away all the. All the all the media stories and all the uh, you know if from the last twenty years about his life and his career. If you remove all mm-hmm. that stuff, uh, with all the instances of, of you know spousal abuse and whatever, yeah. Even even in his maybe even in his youth or his childhood, like I I cannot there he must have seen that look in someone's eyes because you cannot I Definitely. I suffer from because he he gets it he gets it yes he he, he completely understands and. The, the thing that I really, really like about Martin Riggs is whenever he has gone crazy, as they, as they will say, yeah, Riggs, you're so crazy, mm-hmm. he looks quite literally exhausted. Yes. Like, it is, it is exhausting being unwell. It is hard as mm-hmm. shit to be unwell. And when you have let loose because you've had a manic episode, that's not something you do on purpose. No, absolutely not. And afterwards, and... you are exhausted. You are broken. And he gets it. And it's so hard to reconnect to a, to a person after something like that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Especially if you've seen the fear in their eyes. That is... And the, yeah. the thing is, you don't... You don't judge the other person for being afraid. You blame yourself for putting fear in someone else. Yeah. Which makes everything much worse. Do you know what, what, what a great portrayal of mental illness reminds me of? Come on. Mel Gibson's Hamlet. Let's talk about Hamlet. Wow, it's almost I've been looking for, mental I've been looking illness in Mel Gibson's films is like this huge part. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's almost as though it's important to him. Maybe he can't say the words himself, but he can show Yeah, them. you know, I think if he, if he was ever able to speak candidly about it, I think a lot of the public opinion of him would change. Not necessarily with regards to what he's done, but, you know, why he did it, certainly. Definitely. There is no interest for anyone here to, 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 to excuse his actions. I mean, I've gotten drunk as fuck. I've never become a Nazi. I've never been that drunk. No. <laughs> um, no, nothing will ever excuse those things. Uh, no matter how sick he was, no, he still did the things. He did them. You can, you can. Yeah, I do think he, he holds some hateful views that are separate from his mental illness that you can't excuse. This is kind of the, the the thing of it with regards to the craft, the artist, and the art. Anyone else would probably preface something about Mel Gibson with, "Oh, he's a piece of shit," or blah 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 blah. But in the case of actors like this, this is the point I'll make. You can separate if Mel Gibson made a movie about hating and killing the Jews, then you can't separate the man from the work. Right, because that's uh, that's consistent with his car- with his person. But apart from maybe the Passion of the Christ, which I don't really see as an indictment of the Jews, more of a this is the history according to this stupid ass book. Th- I, that should be taken out of the equation. But some someone like Mel, who is a piece of shit in person, but does not carry his inherent values or views onto his work that is an that is an actor whose work you can watch if you take a person like Woody Allen who 
groomed his fucking stepdaughter, adopted stepdaughter, married her, and then continues to marry and sleep with young women in his movies. That is not a person where you can separate the art and the artist. I this is something I feel strongly about. Wow, this is going to be a grim. Yes, <laughs> this is going to be a grim podcast. Yeah, it, okay, I mean, let's it, talk about Hamlet. Let's cheer things up and talk about Hamlet. Hey. Let's talk about. <laughs> let's talk about the suicidal. Uh, Manic Prince of Denmark. Well, it's not something I understand for once. <laughs> I think if you take Hamlet, everything rests on Mel in that yeah, film I as mean, well. I think he, it doesn't compare to any other Hamlet that I've seen, like in films. There's no other Hamlet that I've seen depicted that captures uh, the reality that Mel Gibson does. Because I think every, I mean, if you, I mean, people will be sitting here screaming about Kenneth Branagh and bloody Derek Jacobi and fucking Richard Day Lawrence Olivia but you know I think inherent or at least primarily their performances are grounded in an, an aesthetic appreciation of the language whereas Mel Gibson doesn't really care about that he he is portraying he's portraying the reality of, of what is happening to this character yes most definitely whereas as you say they have this there's this there's this almost masturbatory uh, masturbatory? I don't fucking know. Uh, relationship to to um, to Shakespeare and his words. Like you need to say them a certain way for them to be right. You need to yeah. You need to, to be a certain kind of actor to do Shakespeare. Yeah. Which yeah. I would probably agree with on a stage. Maybe there's a certain way it has to work. Well, it's different skill set. I think exactly stage acting, but acting. There's there's something I f- feel deep inside my bones when Mel Gibson speaks the lines of Hamlet that I mm-hmm. do not feel when Branagh does, when fucking anyone else does. Not even in the theater yeah. do they resonate with me in the in the way that 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 Mel does. Well, I think like if you if you look at Kenneth Branagh, it's almost the same as um, Clark Clinton. It's it's the same kind of you know. He, he seems undecided about whether Hamlet is genuine or if he's just if if his if his mania is an affectation or if he's genuinely manic. You know, whereas whereas Mel Gibson makes no bones about it. He's just like, okay, I get this, I understand. The, the, and the man is clearly manic. The, the man is clearly yeah. Though. His Hamlet is so fragile, as well. Yeah. Like. I mean, Hamlet is, is even 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 in, in, in the original. If you read the play, the, the, he, obviously the, the guy's a bit fragile and he's a bit you know weak and stuff. But yeah. there's such fragility to his enunciation and to his the way he looks, the way his his eyes are just desperately crying out for whatever it is that that Hamlet and in turn Mel Gibson needs to to be complete. I think if you look at Branagh. I, I, I'm gonna, probably going to compare it to Branagh's uh, a lot. Yeah, that's probably also the, the easiest when we got. Well, they were quite close together. They came out. They were a few years apart, and I think Bra- when when all the other characters leave Hamlet on his own, Branagh's energy goes up, and he starts talking to the audience about what he's planning. Whereas Gibson does the opposite. His his energy drops when there's no one around because he's finally free to express something like like um, the scene where he. You know his 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 mother and his uncle leave him. It's it's very early in the in the in the play and in the film, and and he he talks about suicide. 
Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw and resolve itself into a dew. Or that the everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Oh, God. God, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. Fie on Fie, it is an unweeded garden that grows to seed. Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. He mentions, uh, you know, he, wish, he wished that his religion would allow him to kill himself. When Mel Gibson says that, he's not just singing. This is what you get from, yeah, what you get from Brano is, is, that is a line that you just say because it's part of the rhythm. His focus on the scene is Hamlet explaining what he plans to do. Whereas Mel Gibson's trying to really express something. There's the scene where he he visits his uh, his father's tomb. He he lays his head on 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 the grave of the tomb. It's hard to I I think the reason you and I in particular might feel that we get uh, Gibson in in ways that that for example include yes. Clyde whatever uh, doesn't is that we have we have our issues and there is something so relatable yeah. about all of his characters because they all have this they they all have they're all suffering in, in one way or the other and it is never more clear than it is in hamlet i mean we've talked about lethal weapon and 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 this and these kind of things uh but hamlet is just like the pure him at his most pure that's that's a good way of putting it yeah i would agree with that hamlet is hamlet is the purest expression of what mel gibson is trying to convey in his body of work his most is best conveyed in Hamlet, I think. Yeah, that's even taking the be- uh, beaver into consideration. Yeah, well, ben- well, Hamlet benefits from being a good film. Yeah, Hamlet yeah, definitely benefits from actually just being a tight film. There's two moments in that that really nail down for me what he's doing. One is when Rosencrantz and Guildenstern first first come to Elsinore, and there's something a little bit threatening about him. But he's threatening in a in an honest way, like he's not without necessarily seeming like he's meaning to be. Yeah, without conveying any threat. Yeah. But he suddenly does actually convey a veiled threat without actually conveying anything. And the other time it was when he uh, threatens Rosencrantz with the pipe. Will you play upon this pipe? <clears throat> I cannot, my lord. I do beseech you, come. It is as easy as lying. I have not the skill. I look down how unworthy a thing you make of me. You would play upon me. You would pluck out the heart of my mystery. Sound me from my lowest note to the top of my compass. God's blood! Do you think I am easier to be played on than a pipe? I mean, it kind of reads funny because Michael Maloney as Rosencrantz does this little... <laughs> I don't know and that's funny, but when Mel Gibson does the next bit, which is supposed to be the funny bit because it's full of like clever wordplay, it's like genuinely frightening. There, there are just so many things in in in, in the film that is such. It's just pitch perfect. There's the uh, when Polonius drops by and he's going, "What do you read, my lord? Uh, what do you read, my lord? Words. Words. Words." What is the matter, my lord? Between who? Oh, nothing. The matter that you read. <sighs> Slanders, sir. For the satirical rogue says here that old men have grey beards, 
their faces are wrinkled, their eyes purging thick amber and plum tree gum, and that they have a plentiful lack of wit together with most weak hands. How pregnant sometimes his replies are. All of which, sir, I most powerfully and potently believe. Yet I hold it not honesty to have it thus set down. For you yourself, sir, should be old as I am, if, like a crab, you could go backward. My honorable lord, I will most humbly take my leave. You cannot, sir, take from me anything that I will more willingly part with all. Except my life. Except my life. Except my life. Yeah, because on one level he is just fucking with Polonius, but going back to Branner again, Branner plays that as very funny. And then when he does, when at the end uh, Polonius says, I'll take my leave of you, and he, and he says, I, You could not take from me anything that I would much rather part with all except my life and he says except my life three times and when Branagh does it it's all one shot of him and he just does it in three funny voices whereas when Gibson does it he keeps stopping Polonius as he's just about to leave the room every time he goes to leave the room he goes except my life like he, he obviously has the plot that he that he has that he's planning but there's also a real uncertainty about whether he's a danger to himself I, I never felt that in Branagh's Oh no. I never felt that this was anything but a production of uh, of Hamlet. Well, Gibson's Hamlet feels like a production of the character Hamlet. I mean, there are great actors in it uh, other than him. Uh, this is Glenn Close as well, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Who, who is who's also fantastic. Um, but whereas Branagh is the usual Shakespeare wankery, because it's Shakespeare, there's a certain Brits have a certain way of portraying Shakespeare most of the time, producing Shakespeare, uh, which which I think is sort of old grandiose. at this point. There are limits to how much you can do the same thing with good actors, uh, especially in a, in a cinematic format. But this Hamlet is just it's it's sort of it has an understanding of Hamlet that Branagh doesn't, it, or it yeah. feels it does. If you read Hamlet and your initial reaction is oh he's he's playing manic to to disarm people yeah and I think that's that's basically Branagh's interpretation all the way through yeah Gibson is very much the other way but I think there are times when it plays slightly ambiguously um, particularly earlier on and particularly when he's when he's interacting with um, the characters that he doesn't trust like Polonius or Rosencrantz and Guildenstern uh, we are not quite sure if he's just fucking with them or if he's being genuinely manic because when you when you're when you're being manic you are aware of what you're doing yeah, but you don't know that you're manic. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, basically, you do, you you're, you're you're being very odd, and you don't know why, uh, which is a very simplified way of explaining it. But oh yes, yeah, no doubt. But I think that comes across in in Gibson's Hamlet. It comes much more across in Gibson's Hamlet because he doesn't play Hamlet in even the 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 lines that are written by Shakespeare as funny like they're supposed to be funny mm -hmm. even those are portrayed in a way that is yes they, they are they are kind of funny but it never detracts from what Mel is doing it doesn't detract from his Hamlet it doesn't have this uh, change of tone 
that I think it yes. kind of does in Branagh's. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, where it goes, uh, and then it goes, ah, ha, ha, and then back to, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is just fucking ridiculous. Uh, well, the thing about Branagh is he's always, like, smiling and laughing when he's yes, playing Yes, and he, he's, by all accounts, a nice guy, and he's not a bad uh, filmmaker at all, or an actor, for that matter. But mm-hmm. he... Oh, I think it's a good film. I think Branagh's film is good. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's just not as good as Hamlet's, uh, uh, no. Gibson's Hamlet. Yeah, uh, Gibson's Hamlet. Uh, Zephyr, he, he, Gibson fucking takes Hamlet, the character, seriously. He takes the character mm-hmm. very, very seriously. It's well, like, he relates to it, and I think that's the main thrust of it. Yes, but it, it does kind of seem that anything that has these that deals with a person who has mental issues it's like putting on the perfect shoe for him did you see um, Michael Fassbender's Macbeth yeah I saw some of it I saw a documentary about it where he said his approach to it was that he saw Macbeth as a man who was suffering from post-traumatic stress but that did not come across in his performance nope I think if you're trying to portray any kind of mental illness you need to have a much more solid understanding of it you can it's, it's the same thing with with people who portray drug addicts or, or former mm-hmm. addicts I've, I've uh, never shied away from, from talking about my past and I'm a former heroin addict all this stuff but nothing fucking grinds my gears more than watching some dude who has never done dope or anything else Mm-hmm. shoot up heroin and then act like he's going he, he's shooting up heroin like he knows what it feels like when it hits you because it will never feel like it's supposed to that is the great demon that is heroin it will never feel like it's supposed to and no one understands this really they just he is fucked up he's nodding off because he's on heroin and this is and he's slurring his words blah 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 that that is it is so far from what it actually is because there's no this there, there isn't this inherent understanding of it, and oh, you shouldn't go out and do heroin just to to, to, to do <laughs> no, it. No, not not for it. No. No, no. Uh, I mean, you can do it a couple of times, and it's all good and fun. But, but I, I think I think you yeah. should at least try to gain an understanding. Yes, and apparently, and it's very apparent that that Mel Gibson understands uh, mental illness and, and serious and has serious issues to work out, which mm-hmm. it would appear that he does through his work. Yes, absolutely. That it doesn't come out in person is. You know that kind of sucks for him. Uh, I don't. I don't know how he is as a person these days. He's probably still a piece of shit. But watching this man work out his deepest insecurities mm-hmm. and issues on screen, it's it is cathartic as hell for someone like me as yes. well. Yes, I think it's important. I think he's. I think he does something important that people both miss and the pretenders can't do. Ooh, that is good. Yes, I've I've said this before, and I will say it again. I'll say it every day of the week. No one does what Mel Gibson does better than Mel Gibson. No one, no one has ever done what Mel Gibson does in his films. And we're not, we're not even talking about the the, the portrayal of mental illness or, or or the manic or anything else. It's he probably is the greatest actor, of his, one of the greatest actors of his generation. And because this is just his craft, he's so goddamn good at it. Oh, absolutely. I always feel like this. He approaches these completely broken, hideously broken characters with. Yeah much respect for their issues for their problems if you want to make Riggs funny you have to empathise with him at least I think since we're talking about Mel Gibson and it is time to bring this to a close I can't think of a better way to end this than the ending of Mad Max the chain in those handcuffs is high tensile steel it'll take you ten minutes to hack through it with this Now, if you're lucky, you can hack through your ankle in five minutes. 
Try to come up with a name for the. Uh, oh yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, Biggie and Little Nico. No. That I like that. That's yeah, I don't like thing. that one. I'm, I'm, I'm a big boy online and off. Um, <laughs> I hope it's funny. It's really funny, uh, but but we should have something better. The the other the other name I was quite keen on was the Cuntcast. Yeah, I, I, I sort of dig the Cuntcast, but on the other hand, I would really love it if a bunch of angry feminists had a podcast called the Cuntcast instead. The, yeah, you know what? And I would leave that up to them to actually get this name, so two fucking yeah. idiot nerd men hasn't have stolen their name. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. Because you know, ladies, sounds... you think about you all the time. <laughs> what was that one you fucking suggested you were doing? Oh, you hated it, which which made me sad. Let me find it. I have it right here. I wrote it down. I thought it was so good, I wrote it down. But you can't remember No, but I can't remember it. But I wrote it. I know what it means. Kurt Russell's closet. Oh, yeah, Kurt Russell's closet, yeah. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that means, but Kurt Russell's closet. On your chest. 